Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. We all possess, you and I, all of us here, something that the ambitious and the powerful and the wannabe powerful keenly covet, and that is our votes. The rules say that political parties cannot have power unless they first have our votes. And when they fail to get them, as the Republican Party did in sufficient numbers in the race for the White House in 2012, it inevitably sets off a soul-searching within the party. How did we fail to connect to the American voter? Do we need to change to do better next time? That is the debate that's taking place right now inside the Republican Party, and we are bringing it out now onto this stage. Yes or no to this statement. The GOP must seize the center or die. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We have four superbly qualified debaters who will be arguing for and against this motion. As always, our debate goes in three rounds, and then the audience votes to choose a winner, and only one side wins. On the side arguing for that motion, let's welcome David Brooks. David, you are uh, an op-ed columnist for the New York Times, uh, often referred to as a moderate. Uh, You get a lot of flack from both sides, a few examples. Um, The conservative blogger Michelle Malkin wrote of you that you are the Eddie Haskell of the Fourth Estate. (laughs) The liberal writer Jonathan Chait writes, David Brooks is now totally pathological. Uh, my, My question to you as somebody who's sort of getting it from both sides, does it hurt more when the zingers come from the left or the right to your bruised body? It hurts more when it comes from intelligent people. Uh, So that would be the right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, David Brooks. And David, David, your partner is? Uh, The lovely and glamorous uh, Mickey Edwards. Ladies and gentlemen, Mickey Edwards. Um, Mickey, you you served as chairman of the American Conservative Union. You were a founding trustee of the Heritage Foundation. You spent 16 years in Congress as a member of the House Republican leadership. That sounds pretty conservative. But if you ran for office today on the same platform you used to run run on, would you be conservative enough to get nominated? Are you kidding? I wouldn't get 5% of the vote. Wow. That's pretty serious. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to hear more about that, I hope, in detail. Mickey Edwards, ladies and gentlemen. Our motion is the GOP must seize the center or die. And here to argue against that motion, let's welcome first Laura Ingram. Laura, you host The Eponymous Show, The Laura Ingram Show. Um, You were not happy with how the Mitt Romney campaign went in 2012, and you said quite plainly that election should have been a gimme. 
among other things, and you said this, if you can't beat Barack Obama with that record, then shut down the party. How literally did you mean that? Well, shut down the party, as in, let's say a, a college basketball coach has a perpetually losing record. You don't then give the coach a, a raise, you get rid of the coach. So all the people running the Republican Party, Reince Priebus, nice person, uh, why are they still employed? You know, all the people in leadership should be gone, and we should have a new crop of people what running. What do you really think? That's what <laughs> I think. Ladies and gentlemen, Laura Ingram. And Laura, your partner is? The ever-cutting-edge Ralph Reed. Ladies and gentlemen, Ralph Reed. Ralph, you're also arguing against this motion that the GOP must seize the center or die. You are actually legitimately claim to be part of American political history in the 20th century. You were the first executive director of the Christian Coalition. You're the founder and chairman now of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Time magazine once named you the right hand of God. How, I mean, that's a, that's a very, very, you know, very yeah, they, heavy... They apparently didn't know that that seat was taken. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ralph Reed... On to round one. Opening statements from each of our debaters in turn, arguing on this motion, the GOP must seize the center or die. And here up to argue first in support of the motion, David Brooks. He is an op-ed columnist for the New York Times, a commentator on the NewsHour with Jim Lehrer, and a former senior editor at the Weekly Standard. Now, I admit I was on the left at one point. Uh, in the 60s, my parents took me to a B-in where hippies would go just to be, uh, and they, to demonstrate their liberation from money and material things, they threw their wallets into a garbage can. I was five. I saw a $5 bill on fire in the garbage can. I ran into the fire, grabbed the money, and ran away. Uh, and that was my first step over to the right uh, in my life. But uh, we had one other influence uh, in my family, which was my grandfather and his father, immigrants, a Jewish kid trying to make it in the city. We had the dream of making it in the city, which meant making it in this neighborhood where we're standing, in the Upper West Side, the Upper East Side. And that was the ethos of the Republican Party at the start. It was started by, by Abraham Lincoln, a poor boy in, in Illinois who wanted to make it. And he did it in the, when he was in the state legislature. He created by creating a state bank to invest, building canals and railroads. He got to the presidency, created railroad legislation, Homestead Act, Land Grant, College Act, even introduced the income tax. It was using government to give poor boys and girls a chance to succeed, using government in limited but energetic ways to give people a chance to succeed. Is the Republican Party doing it now? I think they've not because they've become so hostile to government. Think of a poor girl who wants to be like Lincoln today. She grows up probably without a father. She grows up in a chaotic community with low social trust, high economic pressure, few community bonds. She's probably going to need some early some protection from early childhood distresses that will destroy her self-control. She's going to need institutions that will help her build relationships so she can use people as tools for learning throughout life. And so what does the Republican Party today have to say to her? Almost nothing. This party has encased in a simplistic and archaic metric government versus the market. Government good, the market bad. If you're that little girl, the government is not your big problem. If you're that little girl, the government through Pell Grants is sometimes the solution. It's helping you work hard and becoming a better capitalist. The Republican Party has become so hostile to government that they find it very hard to have anything positive to offer. So hostile to government, they can't really stand for social mobility, the cause they started with. And the country knows that. 
The Republicans have lost five out of the last six popular votes in the elections. They've lost the Senate they should have won. They held on to the House by force of redistricting. The Republican Party has a 33% overall approval rating when the Democrats have a 47%. You take every rising group in America, the Republican Party is losing that group. Latinos by 4 to 1, Asian Americans by 3 to 1, African Americans by 9 to 1, people in single households by 2 to 1. They're getting slaughtered among young people. If this electorate and the electorate of the 20th century was made up of 85-year-old white men, the party would be doing awesome. But this party is not that party. This party sometimes looked like the receding roar of a white America that's never coming back. And what is the people's top criticism of the Republican Party? The top criticism is they do not compromise. It is a party that's unwilling to compromise on budgets, unwilling to compromise on guns, apparently unwilling to compromise on immigration, unwilling to have any flexibility, becoming an uncompromising party. And my advice to the Republican Party, don't move to the center for the sake of moving to the center. The center is nothing. Move to the center for the sake of that little girl, which is your founding principle, which is social mobility. Do right by that little girl, and you'll do right by yourself politically. Thank you. Thank you, David Brooks. Our motion is the GOP must seize the center or die. And now here to argue against the motion, Ralph Reed. Uh, Ralph Reed is the founder and chairman of the Faith and Freedom Coalition and former executive director of the Christian Coalition. Ladies and gentlemen, Ralph Reed. We've seen this movie before. Virtually everything that David just said from that podium would have been said in 1949 after Dewey lost. It would have been said in 1965 after Barry Goldwater lost. It was said in 1977 after Ford lost. It's been said every time the Republicans lose a major election. Uh, And I would just say, paraphrasing Mark Twain, when it comes to the Republican Party, the premature reports of its death are greatly exaggerated. And in fact, I would argue that in spite of a personal defeat for the party's presidential nominee, that in fact... If you look across the board, the Republican Party is institutionally and demographically stronger than it's been in decades. First of all, look where the Republican Party was after Hoover and the Depression. 36 in the Senate, 117 in the House. Look where they were after Nixon and Watergate. 36 in the Senate, 144 in the House. Even after George H.W. Bush, The Republicans at that point stood at 44 in the Senate and only 166 in the House. You compare that to today, where they have 30 governors compared to the Democrats, 20. And there's no question that the Republican governors, whether it's Nikki Haley in South Carolina or Scott Walker in Wisconsin, Bobby Jindal in Louisiana or Chris Christie in New Jersey, are among the most popular, reformist, conservative forward-looking governors in the country, reforming education, reforming public sector unions, balancing budgets without raising taxes, the same policies that we're being told are repudiated and dead and can't be sold anymore are more popular than ever at the state level. And uh, the truth of the matter is that that's not just at the gubernatorial level. The Republicans elected over 700 state legislators and 
2010, they control both houses of 24 legislatures to only 13 for the Democrats. My second point would be, we've tried this before. This formula has been applied. If you don't believe me, go to California, a state that once produced Nixon, Reagan, George Duke Majin, and other great conservatives. They moved to the mushy middle. Uh, they nominated candidates for statewide office that were pro-choice, pro-gay rights, and fiscally moderate. And today, it is fair to say that the Republican Party stands on the verge of extinction. Only 25 out of 80 in the California Assembly are Republicans, only 11 of 40 in the state Senate, following this same playbook that's now being recommended nationally. And the other thing I would remind you is this is not going to be a freebie. Remember that 27% of the electorate is self-identified evangelical Christian. 10% are frequently mass-attending pro-life, pro-family Catholics. They voted 75 to 25% for Mitt Romney. That constituency is larger than the African-American vote, the Hispanic vote, and the union vote combined. And if this party retreats from those core conservative principles, those folks will stay home or support a third party, and then the Republican Party will become the Whig Party. There is no way intellectually to agree with that resolution. Well, Fred, your time is up. Thank you very much. Hello, I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S., Join us online at iq2us.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going at iq2us.org. And a reminder of where we are, we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is the GOP must seize the center or die. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing both for and against. You have heard the first two opening statements and now on to the third to debate for this motion that the GOP must seize the center or die. A former eight-term Republican congressman from Oklahoma, vice president of the Aspen Institute, and a founding trustee of the Heritage Foundation, ladies and gentlemen, Mickey Edwards. John, thank you. Let me, let me be clear. I do not think the problem is that the Republican Party is conservative. The problem is that what it advocates is not at all consistent with what American conservatives have traditionally stood for, certainly not in the days of Ronald Reagan, who almost definitely could not win a Republican primary today. It's not consistent with the days when the Republican Party stood for things like prudence and responsibility and that did not attempt to dictate to the people how they were supposed to live and what their values were supposed to be. Americans still agree with conservative principles. They defend the right of citizens to own guns, but they don't applaud a party that supports people being able to carry loaded guns across state lines and into restaurants and schools and churches. The people support conservatism, but they don't support a political party that can't refrain from carrying every sound and defensible principle to its unacceptable extremes. The people will support a political party that wants a smaller deficit and lower taxes and small government, but they're not going to support a party that draws the line and when they're offered a chance to have lower taxes and smaller government, they say, no, we're unwilling to compromise except any kind of a tax increase. You know, I'll tell you, compromise is what makes a nation of 300 million people work. 
And without compromise, drawing a line in the sand, you can't make it. Real conservatives support free enterprise and small business, but not giant corporations with tax loopholes. And yet today's Republican Party would fight to the death to protect every single tax advantage of the wealthy, so they leave it to the middle class to pay for the wars and the roads and keeping the drinking water safe. What does it mean to move to the center? I would not suggest that moving to the center means finding some precise magical spot on the 50-yard line of public opinion, but engaging in a rational politics that is within the range of reasonable and thoughtful discourse. A politics that stands for principle, as Ralph and Laura do, but also stands for the principle that self-government, government of the people, works, and that in a nation of 300 million people, that means not just drawing a, land, a line in the sand, but fighting for what you believe, make your case, argue for it, get as much as you can, and then find the common ground so that we can move together as one people, as one America. And, and in terms of the other things, the non-presidential races, we had this great chance in the Republican Party to win control of the Senate. Everybody thought we would win control. Democrats were going to lose control of the Senate. In fact, they gained seats. Why did they gain seats? Because Republicans put up candidates that allowed Democrats to win the Senate seats in Delaware, Nevada, Missouri, Indiana. Those were states where people were inclined to think good of Republicans, but they just could not go there. So the other question is what it means to be a political party. And it's not just about catering to whatever part of the population one agrees with, but being a serious contributor to the governance of America. So what's really at stake here are two things. Whether a hardcore, unyielding, uncompromising Republican Party can survive, and second, whether it should. Please vote for the proposition. Thank you, Mickey Edwards. Our motion is the GOP must seize the center or die. And now to speak as our final debater against the motion, Laura Ingram. She is host of The Laura Ingram Show. She's a contributor on the Fox News Channel and also is a best-selling author. Ladies and gentlemen, Laura Ingram. Uh, a couple of points first to Mickey's uh, argument. If Mickey's argument is correct, then one would think that in uh, the bluest of states, which would be very hospitable to moderate Republican views, people like Scott Brown would be victorious. Scott Brown obviously went down in flames. One would think that someone like the very centrist Tommy Thompson of Wisconsin would have won his Senate seat. Unfortunately, Tommy Thompson went down in flames. Republicans had their issues, but for every uh, Todd Aiken and Richard Murdoch, I can cite a Republican moderate who could not make the grade. Uh, the Republican Party already died. It died in 2000 with the elite's choice, which was John McCain. Remember, back then, Mitt Romney was the insurgent candidate. I supported Mitt Romney in 2008. He was going up against John McCain, who was for immigration reform. He worked with Ted Kennedy on a bunch of issues. He was for uh, McCain-Feingold. John McCain was the media's favorite Republican. John McCain went down in flames. Move forward to the last election. Everyone said the only guy who could beat Barack Obama would be Mitt Romney. Couldn't be that Rick Santorum. Certainly couldn't be Newt Gingrich. Lo and behold, Mitt Romney ran. Mitt Romney lost. Moderates usually lose elections with few exceptions. And 
Before you pull out the Chris Christie is the moderate and everybody loves him example, let me tell you what the New York Times said about Chris Christie in uh, 2009. Chris Christie described as plainly conservative on issues such as school choice, rolling back regulations, and uh, very restrictionist on abortion. Chris Christie won the governorship of New Jersey with the help of people like yours truly, uh, the, uh, the early Tea Party, and conservatives. He was no middle-of-the-road centrist when he won. Think about this. You don't seize the center. You create the center. George Bush saying that conservatives should be more compassionate. Uh, or Marco Rubio saying that you have to agree with Chuck Schumer on immigration. I don't know what you, what you seem, but to me you seem a little bit more weak than you would have seemed if you just said, you know, these are my views, take them or leave them. When Newt Gingrich was changing the face of Republican politics in 1994, or when Ronald Reagan was, uh, was triumphantly winning elections in the 1980s, did young Barack Obama say to himself, gosh, I've got to seize the center, adopt a new point of view and a new tone and a new idea because guess what? Conservatism is all the rage. Of course he didn't do that. And he was very smart not to do that. Constantly changing viewpoints are a fact of life in the United States. They usually change when someone makes a coherent, strong argument that the status quo is unacceptable, that the policies that are being advocated by the other side actually don't help the American people. A political party doesn't exist just to get elected. A political party exists to make people's lives better. And by the way, we saw time and again people who come across as flip-floppers, they want to change their views for political convenience, and time and again, those people are rejected as candidates. A party does not exist to win elections. If it did, then guess what? We would have a different scenario today in the United States because guess what? Flip-floppers don't win. Thank you, Laura Ingram. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is the GOP must seize the center or die. Now we move on to round two, and that is where the debaters address each other directly, and they answer questions from me and from you in our audience. We have two teams of two arguing this motion, the GOP must seize the center or die. We have David Brooks and Mickey Edwards in support of the motion. We've heard them say that uh, the Republican Party has become too hostile to government. They say that resistance to compromise is not a winning message, and that the party has found itself at odds with a more diverse population. The side arguing against the motion, the GOP must seize the center or die, Ralph Reed and Laura Ingram, they have argued that the sky is not at all falling for the GOP, that the GOP is doing very, very well in the states and in local governments, and that never has a move to the mushy middle, as they called it, turned out to be a winning strategy. And I want to put to the side arguing against the motion, you have said that the center is really a moving target. It can change by the month or by the year. One of your opponents, Mickey Edwards, put it a different way, that it's a willingness to compromise and that ultimately willing to go to the center is a willingness to go to the common ground. I'd like you to take that on and elaborate more on this debate about what we mean by the center. Laura Ingram. 
Well, a, a compromise over what? If you compromise over the core principles of your party, then you are ultimately representing nothing. And you might as well just be a shimmer or a figurehead representing nothing. So compromise on, well, we're going we're gonna to spend X amount of money versus Y amount of money. Oh, that's compromise. I understand what you're saying. But when you say seizing the center, that stands for a set of principles. In the liberal lexicon, seizing the center for Barack Obama never meant, okay, I'm going to actually now look at uh, the way we spend our military money or the way we run our foreign policy differently. He doesn't believe that's seizing the center. Compromise only exists when it sets about to erode conservative so- principles. You're saying there are situations where there cannot be compromise. Where well, yes, okay. yes, I am. All right, I want to take that that point back to the other side. David Brooks or Mickey Edwards. Either well, I guess the David first thing Brooks. I'd notice about this debate so far is our esteemed opponents are mostly talking tactics, and we're mostly talking substance. Uh, uh, no, actually not. So we, they've talked about how to win elections. Mickey and I have talked about how to solve problems. Mickey talked about the problems of political dysfunction in Washington. And that's to start with a position and then behave in a prudential manner to try to ease political dysfunction in politics. And that's a centrist position. I talked about social segmentation, a problem that I think can be addressed with limited but energetic government. We've talked about how to solve those two problems. So neither of us have talked about moving but, to but the, the center. Response I heard, Mira's the response I heard from Laura was that, that her, her opposition to this notion of compromise is that in certain situations for a party to compromise makes the party not stand for itself. And I see the logic of that. I'd like you to respond to that point, Mickey Edwards. You know, it's not about the party standing for itself. It's about the party standing for the country. You know, James Madison is my hero. I love Madison, the champion of limited government. But he was also for government. The, the Constitution was not just to put constraints on government, but to empower government to act in a reasonable, rational way as a nation of people who must come together if they're going to do anything worthwhile. Government doesn't have all the power. Government doesn't have all the responsibility. But government does have some responsibility. And that's where the Republican Party is copping out. Ralph Reed. First of all, to David's point, David, what we've been debating is the resolution. And what the resolution says is that the Republican Party must move to the center or die. Now, I haven't heard the other side define these terms. I offered my definition. The resolution makes it very clear that the point to which you must compromise is the point that is equidistant between Democrats and Republicans. Let me just add to that. I mean, the the argument that Mickey and David are making, I would say it's not a substantive argument. I would say... American greatness conservatism, which was at the crux of much of what David Brooks argued for during the Bush years, supporting a larger, uh, more energetic federal government, supporting uh, not only the war in Iraq, but the war in Afghanistan, it was an utter failure. It, It grew the deficit. It ended up losing the Republicans, their hard-fought gains in the Senate and the House of Representatives, and turned the White House over to the most liberal president ever to step foot in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. So the Republican Party moved to the center, David Brooks. I like you very much. And it got clobbered. And only when it moved away from the center did it win in 2010. Let me me think about the the centrist Republican Party we've seen over the last 10 years. The centrism of Tom DeLay, the centrism of George Gingrich... The censors of Mitt Romney, who talked about makers versus takers, who had a deportationist immigration policy. We have not seen a centrist Republican Party. Was Bush centrist? No. You don't, okay, well, I haven't seen that column. 
written by you. Um, let, me, let me put something else into the conversation here, and it was the argument made by the side arguing for the motion that, uh, that the party, as it now stands, has lost touch with, with growing segments of the population, that part of the population being the young, maybe some segment of women and uh, ethnic minorities. Uh, take on their point, because, again, I see the logic to that. Here again, th- those who counsel moderation moving to the, quote, middle never succeed in winning minority votes. And, Mickey, I know when you were one of the most conservative members of the House, you regularly won large percentage of, of the African-American vote in your district. Uh, conservatism is not anathema to minority voters. And, in fact, the, the high watermark in the post-World War II period for a Republican presidential candidate in winning Hispanic votes was George W. Bush in 2004. If you look at that, he won 44% of the Hispanic vote. 40% of Hispanics self-identify as conservatives. 22% are evangelical. Another 25% are faithful Catholics. Two million of them are small business owners. They're pro-life. They're pro-marriage. They're for lower taxes. Uh, These are conservatives. Uh, David Brooks. There's a lot of chum being thrown in the air, a lot of tracers flying out. The idea that the Republicans did well in Hispanics, it's bizarre. They did not do well among Hispanics. I, I said when George W. Bush ran, and you said he was a conservative. Well, he had a, 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 a much better immigration policy than the current Republican Party does. I'll grant you that. And he had an immigration policy which involved comprehensive immigration reform. So that's the kind of centrism I can support that includes getting new skilled workers into this country. It's the kind of immigration reform that involves increasing economic growth. And if they defeat this immigration reform in this election, right. they might as well write David, a suicide note. I need you to park the car the and let Laura Ingram, let me, let me, Laura um, Ingram respond. And I'll come back to you. Uh, I happen to have a Latina daughter, okay? She's almost eight years old. And I, I take this issue very seriously. But the resolution on the table is the Republican Party must move to the center or die. And we are arguing about George W. Bush only because... George W. Bush is the most recent national example of a Republican that all the individuals under the age of 35 remember. And I will say that when he left office, he had, I believe, the last approval rating he had was about 32%. It was because we had an abysmally centrist and out-of-touch George W. Bush in the White House, and I believe he was, in many ways, the centrist dream that David Brooks loves. Mickey Edwards. <laughs> yeah, you, you guys keep talking about the definitional problem, that we're not defining the, the issue right, and yet you keep redefining conservatism. I mean, Ralph, I appreciate the fact that you, you pointed out that uh, when, when I was running for Congress and, and when I was there, uh, I routinely carried uh, the African-American vote. When I was in Congress, you're absolutely right, I was one of the most conservative members of Congress. And if I were in Congress today voting exactly the same way on exactly the same issues, I would be one of the most liberal Republicans in Congress. It's the party that has changed. That's not the party of Reagan. It's not the party of Barry Goldwater. You know, it's, it's, this is a party that, that has become something different and unrecognizable. 
something that is at war with, with the American people, that's at war with people's rights to make their governorships? own choices. If, it, if the Republican Party is as out of touch as you claim it to be, how do we have, uh, how do we have people like Nikki Haley, Susanna Martinez, Ted Cruz, and, Marco and Rubio. All, Marco Rubio and all these other people. The, Where, the where's Marco that, Rubio that on immigration? That, is, what? I agree with you on these points, but those people don't agree with you. And I respond to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I helped them during their yeah, campaigns, Mickey. I. I, I assure you they agree with me. <laughs> I don't know about this resolution. I don't want to get too down the rabbit trail of, of immigration, but it elucidates the, the disagreement we're having. And I, even if you don't agree with the bill, I defy anybody to say that what Marco Rubio has done is seize the center. David. Well, I ju- I'll just say it again. I posit immigration reform, which Marco Rubio, this, this gang, put together as a perfect model, not some abstraction of George Bush centrist, which I do not remember really, but a concrete thing we can argue about as an example of the sort of governance I think Mickey and I agree with. Democrats, Republicans getting together a substantive bill that helps the country that Mickey, me, and Ralph all support. You cannot say that Marco Rubio is a moderate. You know, if you think Marco Rubio is a moderate, I urge you to go home after tonight's session and read his speech to CPAC, where he began by defending the sanctity of innocent human life. And by the way, we have a new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll out that shows that 53% of the American people favor restrictions on abortion or having it banned entirely. People are hungering for candidates who are authentic, who have core convictions, but yes, are willing to work across party lines. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Stay with us. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two against two, debating this motion, the GOP must seize the center or die. David Brooks. Uh, so when Mickey and I have consistently, we, when we talk about moderation, we have not said you have to be without principles. We have not said you have to be some invisible squish. We say you start with your principles. First, you address your real principles to real problems, like the economy and immigration. And then you try to work with the people on the other side who contain some piece of the truth. Now, what's happened to the Republican Party is that it has shifted rightward, and people who used to be thought of as conservatives are now thought of as moderates. First there was Mickey. Now there's Ralph. You've turned Ralph. (laughs) With your immigration position, you've turned Ralph into a squish. (laughs) David, David, nice try. I don't think anybody's buying that I'm a moderate. Ralph, I feel we now need from you, if you can do it in 18 seconds, defining conservatism. Because I think that's where a lot of this disagreement is coming. Well, I think conservatism in a nutshell is a philosophy that argues that as government gets bigger, that freedom necessarily constricts. And we believe people are best able to rise as high and as far as their God-given talents, abilities, ambitions, and desires will carry them. When government gets out of the way and allows free men and women to do those things that are best left to them. Government should be small, it should be limited, and it should be confined to specific enumerated purposes. Where do the social issues fit in? Well... Um, Wait a minute. 
I am not trying to zing at all. <laughs> yeah, are, are we debating three media or just bias, two? Media bias, media bias. I just wanted to know. Media bias. Well, I'll, I'll chime in here. Um, it's it's the idea of ordered liberty. Uh, Jefferson wrote about it. Madison, uh, uh, Mickey's favorite uh, framer, uh, wrote about it. That liberty without virtue is really meaningless. Because my idea of liberty could conflict with your personal space. Or uh, everyone does what everyone uh, wants to do in, in his or her own time. And obviously you'll have natural conflict. So ordered liberty is obviously the best. And uh, a moral core, uh, encouraging moral behavior. Society changes. Maybe society will change what the meaning of the word moral is. And I understand that. But uh, the morality has a place. We can try to ignore it. We can try to say that okay. government has no me, role in it. But morality actually way, matters. It, it fits in in the same place that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 fits in. I'm not allowed to deny you the right to sit at a lunch counter simply because of the color of your skin. And we believe that if you take, for example, the issue of abortion, that an unborn child is a person for purposes of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Therefore, to take their life, their constitutional right to life and liberty right, in the Let me bring it back to the other side. Um, Mickey Edwards, do you want to respond to the, to the as, we're, as we move into this well, I, you know, part I of conservatism some, being involved with social issues? Yeah, I had some thoughts here, but, but I kind of got stunned here by, by this definition of liberty. So in the case of the civil rights, and you cannot deny African Americans, obviously, and shouldn't, the, the, these rights, you know, that's a good thing. Uh, but denying gays' rights, that, that's different, right? So, I mean, the, the, the question where you're not being consistent is, are you for liberty or are you for restrictions on liberty? Are you for wor- a workable government or are you against it? Are you, are you for limited government or not? I mean, you're on every side of everything. Ralph, go ahead. Well, I, w- I would say, first of all, um, gays and lesbians have not experienced the same level of Jim Crow-like invidious historic discrimination that African Americans did. They've not well, – wait a minute – They've not been denied the right to vote. They've not been prevented to run for political office. So they are free in a free society to make moral choices with which I may disagree. Just by the way as straights are, the issue before the country is whether or not that relationship should be defined as the institution of marriage. Let's go to some questions. My question is really for Mrs. Ingram. uh, Why has the Republican Party failed? What what do you see as the failures? Because... You have to admit there have been many, many failures in the last... Very brief. I was a, I was a kid growing up in Connecticut. Um, my mom was a waitress. Uh, I, middle-class lifestyle. I, I, I kind of gravitated toward Reagan. I didn't really have any reason to be political, listen to him, and thought that message made sense. Uh, the Reagan experience didn't have, was not without its pitfalls. Reagan did compromise on some issues. But that vision of conservatism, which was a happy warrior conservatism, which was uh, unyielding the face of the Soviet threat, which understood that the power of the individual, individual prosperity, was best achieved uh, with a government that didn't get in the way. Conservatism was never about remaking the world in its image. Conservatism was not about starting wars that we didn't have clear exit uh, paths with. And it wasn't about running up big deficits. Conservatism became that sadly, uh, during the Bush years, and it nearly destroyed the Republican Party. It wasn't the Tea Party in 2010. It was Bush from 2004 to 2008. Does the other side want to respond to David Brooks? I just want to respond to the Reagan revisionism, which I knew would come up. It took a lot longer than I thought. Uh, So Reagan raised taxes 14 times. He He included the biggest tax hike in American history to that point. Reagan signed the Therapeutic Abortion Act, which was one of the bigger liberalizations of abortion laws. That didn't make him a moderate and made him someone who was a practical politician. 
Ronald Reagan adjusted to the problems of his day. The problem is the problem of 2013. It's not 1980, and the problems are different. And if you stay with some mythical, pure Reaganism, which includes no tax increases ever, small government all the way, which is mythical, then you're not responding to the problems of today. Where are the centrists winning, and where are the centrists making a difference in government today? What centrist Republican has won and, and changed the face of the Republican you, Party? You where? Where does it happen? It didn't you, happen in okay, California. Okay, I want him to answer the question. Because I think that's a great question. Okay, well, we're sitting in uh, New York City. Good Michael uh, Bloomberg? We've had a couple of mayors of New York City who are, I would say, moderate Republicans, pr- probably pretty good for New York. I'd say Governor Chris Christie would be good for New Jersey. The one with the Tea Party, Dave. I, I would say outside the, the wa- Washington, D.C. and some of the red states, it's impossible to become a centrist because you can't win a primary. Question. They're not winning. Can I, Let me go to another question. Can, I, uh, can you tell us your name, please? Thanks. Jamal Thomas. Uh, I thought David started out everything excellent when he talked about the little girl and I haven't heard a lot of from the other side and I think the center would love to hear uh, when there's a parent who is on drugs and various different things to that effect that, that can't take care of a child who's responsible for that and when their parents cannot take care of them who is then responsible it seems to me it's to this side and I may be wrong can I rephrase your question does the party have a reputation for 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 not connecting to the, to the problems? If I, if I can respond, the, the party does have that reputation. But the fact of the matter is that um, what the Republican Party stands for is policies that will strengthen marriage, family, childbearing and rearing so that young people are not left behind in circumstances where this young girl could end up finding herself. We seek policies that strengthen the family because we know that if somebody gets married and stays married, bears children within the institution of marriage, and gets a job, any job, in the United States of America, you know what, that, what chance that person has of living in poverty? 2%. And that's what's going to lift people out of poverty, not government programs out of Washington, D.C. All right, let me go to another question. Sir, right in the middle. Uh, yeah. Uh, the low point of the uh, campaign last year for presidency was during the uh, Republican primaries when the candidates were asked if they would lower the deficit by 10-part spending cuts to one-part tax, tax raising, and everyone said they, they wouldn't do that. My question to this side is, do you see that as an admirable stand for their principles or as an indication that they just can't govern the country? The, the short answer is neither, because th- there's, there's two rules in American politics. The first is you can be asked any question. The second is you can answer it any way you want. They were given a choice of raise your hand. What they should have said was, and I can't remember who the moderator was, you know, but you should say that offer will never come. There has never been a time in modern American political history where a Republican president has been offered a deal of a dollar in tax revenue, new tax revenue for $10 in spending cuts. And it never will happen. If you look at what Obama's proposed, it's basically dollar for dollar. Now, at a time when we're, when we're spending a trillion dollars a year that we don't have, uh, Republicans are not going to agree to that kind of ratio. Ralph, Ralph, David Brooks wants yeah, to ask this, something. You know, Ralph's a good consultant. If, if he had consulted, if they had asked him before the raise the hand question, he would have given that good uh, advice of how to dodge it. Uh, but they didn't just dodge that. They didn't just answer that question. They raised their hand, and then they defended it for the rest of the campaign. It was an 
perfect example of the sort of absolutist position, a position of preference that a lot of us have, that taxes shouldn't go up, turned into an absolute fetish. And as a result, this party is incapable of reaching a budget deal. Um, the centrist president, Barack Obama, has produced two budgets, I guess, right? Is that right? Two budgets in uh, five years. And the president, in his first budget, got a total of zero votes for his budget, which apparently would be filled with compromise and moving to the middle and understanding governance and all of that. Got no support. And it doesn't look like his current budget is getting any support either. So the idea that the Republicans are sitting there as this, as this buoy in the water and it's, it's, it, it, will not, it will not tack to one, one direction or the other, it's, it's ridiculous. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is the GOP must seize the center or die. On to round three, closing statements by each debater in turn. Those statements are two minutes each. Our motion is the GOP must seize the center or die. And here to summarize his position against this motion, Ralph Reed, the founder and chairman of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Well, I want you to remember when you vote tonight that we're not voting on whether or not Republicans ought to compromise more, whether or not they ought to work with members of the other party to find common sense solutions. We're debating whether or not the Republican Party philosophically should move from where it is to a point equidistant between the two parties, and if it does not do so, it will die. Now, we have lots of data to demonstrate that that's not true. Look at the exit polls in 2012. People asked whether or not they thought government was too big and was doing too much, and a majority of Americans said government was was too big and was doing too much. I mentioned earlier that a plurality of Hispanics are conservatives. Only 23% of Hispanics are self-identified liberals. Now, the Republican Party may need to talk about these issues more effectively. Uh, The gentleman who asked the question about engaging and connecting with minority communities, you can do all those things and remain an authentic, genuine, Reagan-style conservative. And if the Republican Party doesn't do that, If it moves to the mushy middle, then the tens of millions of people who lick the envelopes and knock on the doors and make the phone calls, they will walk away from this party because it walked away from them. Thank you, Ralph Reed. And our motion is the GOP must seize the center or die. And here to summarize his position supporting this motion, David Brooks. He's an op-ed columnist for The New York Times. I want to go back uh, to the little girl I mentioned. I want to go back to the high-tech entrepreneur who's looking for a worker. I want to go back to the young person saddled with debt, the gay or lesbian person in a relationship who wants to solidify that relationship under the covenant of marriage. The party that doesn't serve the people is going to die. The party that doesn't serve the contemporary problems of the age is going to die. I'm a conservative. I have some doubts. I have a lot of skepticism about government. But you have to use government in limited and energetic ways to serve those people that I've mentioned. You have to be willing to compromise to get a budget deal. You have to be able to work for a comprehensive immigration reform to reweave the social fabric so the young girl living a few miles from here can grow up in a neighborhood that's orderly, so that people can have jobs with earnable wages, so that people have an incentive to marry some of the men who are now drifting through society. And that takes more government than I would have thought 10 years ago. And if you are stuck unwilling to use government in any of those problems, then your party will die. Thank you, David Brooks. 
Our motion is the GOP must seize the center or die. And here to summarize her, her position against this motion, Laura Ingram, host of The Laura Ingram Show and a Fox News contributor. I'm going to say you should reject this proposition that the Republican Party should seize the center or die uh, because I have a lot of faith and respect in the decision-making that Barack Obama made when he could have gone that way. He could have himself seized the center. He could have seized it in 1985 when it looked like liberalism was on the run. He could have seized it in, in 1994 when this Newt Gingrich guy just took the country by storm, love him or hate him, but changed the face of politics. He could have given up hope in 2001 and 2002 when the whole country was rallying toward this war in Iraq, and he decided, you know something? It's, it's, in my view, it's the wrong thing to do. He had a certain sense of himself and sense of principles that he decided to follow. And he followed in a new way by reaching out to all those disaffected Democrats who were kind of tired of the, the old way and Republicans who were kind of sick of where the Republicans were falling down. And lo and behold, Barack Obama, by not seizing the center, decided, guess what? Liberalism is back. I never let it go. I never moved to the center. And I'm going to bring along constituency after constituency and looking at the world and the country in a new way. He found his center. Republicans, guess what? They know where they, where, what they believe and how they believe it. Seizing the new center is political death. Please reject the proposition. Thank you, Laura Ingram. And the proposition is the GOP must seize the center or die. And here to summarize his position against the proposition, Mickey Edwards, a former Republican congressman from Oklahoma and vice president of the Aspen Institute. The, the Republican Party we have today could disappear and be replaced by a range of its little subsets, all these other, a Christian right party, a libertarian party, a no government, no tax party, a gun owners party, a, a no gays and no immigrants party, each one with its own small niche of true believers. But America would no longer be a single nation of people standing together, and for the purposes of this discussion, then you will have lost the Republican Party that once served as a viable, noble alternative will be irrelevant and disappeared. That is not an end that we should embrace, but as long as the Republican Party remains a coalition of extremes outside the broad range of reasonable discourse, that's precisely what will happen. This is a big, diverse nation, and a political party that gets smaller and narrower as the country gets larger and broader is a party that is doomed. Thank you, Mickey Edwards. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to see which side you feel has argued the best. This, this could have been a very, a very ugly debate. And it wasn't. It wasn't. I think uh, all four debaters came to the stage uh, respecting the fact that there are arguments on the other side. This was a, a good, honest exchange of ideas, and I think progress was made just in understanding where both sides stand. I'd like to give a round of applause to all of them. All right, it's all in. Remember, the way we do this, we have you vote twice, and the team whose numbers have moved the most in percentage point, point terms will be declared our winner. Our motion is the GOP must seize the center or die. Here are the results from before you heard the arguments. 65% of you agreed with the motion. 14% were against. 
21% were divided. Those are the first results. Remember, the team that changes numbers the most from first to second vote is the winner. So let's go to the second vote. Let's first look at the team arguing for the motion. They went from 65% to 65%. They picked up... (laughs) They picked up zero percentage points. Zero is the number to beat. The team against the motion, their first vote was 14%. Their second vote was 28%. They went up 14 percentage points. That's enough. The motion, the GOP must seize the center or die, has been defeated. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Chris Kamakawa is researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. Intelligence Squared U.S. is supported by the Rosencrantz Foundation and distributed by NPR. <laughs>